Hi, this is Drew. This is the Once Was Lost podcast, the partner podcast to the OWL, Once Was Lost Missing Persons phone app that is using the KISS principle to keep it simple yet powerful, which creates an organic way to grow exponentially. It's free, and we are getting, on average, 600 new OWL app users a day, making this the fastest-growing missing persons tool to locate the victim via simple law of large numbers, which consists of you and thousands more available to search when an alert is sent to your OWL app. Our goal is to have 500,000 app users spread homogeneously across the country in major cities, and rural areas, which will increase the odds of locating someone within that first crucial hour before something horrific happens. And children especially need this super fast response time that the OWL app provides. So go get the OWL Once Was Lost app now and subscribe for free. And please subscribe to this podcast because it provides not just cases most true crime podcast just don't cover, but also a space to interview the victim's family, sometimes within hours or days, which help us in finding their loved one. These are no frills, no nonsense, quick dives into these special cases that need coverage so they can be distributed by you, the listener, to your social media accounts or if if you live close to the area spoken of, you need to go and get the app ASAP. Some cases are older, and some within days of disappearing. All of them need our attention, and specifically you, the listener, in order, again, to spread the case across the country, which gets the case a huge bump in the amount of people now aware, and hopefully then they become OWL app users too. After you hear this, please go and download the app immediately and add all your at-risk loved ones information and then set and forget until, God forbid, something happens, whereby now you have an immediate alert to all OWL users and those closest to the location they went missing from. Then contact us for an interview so we can provide all OWL app users a more detailed account of what, where, when, and who was there when the event occurred. Also, please rate and review this podcast, which will help people to find us and get into the new and noteworthy section. If everyone that listens to this podcast reviewed and rated, we would be number one in our category, which provides better coverage and more and more OWL app users. This is the most important thing you can do for us at this moment and also to become a patron owl producer at patreon.com slash once was lost. So we're going to be getting into the unexplained death of Catherine or Katrina Mowry. This is covered in stories of the unsolved. Catherine Diane Morey was born on February 5th. 1961 to James and Catherine Mowry. She grew up in Kansas alongside her five siblings, Jim, Michael, Mark, Joanne, and Deborah. And when she was a young adult, Catherine changed her name to Katrina. 
This was because she was working at a country club where many of the ladies kept calling her by that name. And in 1985, Katrina was 24 years old and living on her own in Dallas, Dallas County, Texas. She'd left Kansas when she turned 18. And according to her niece, Katrina Marshall, she was semi-involved in the local drug scene. In mid-June 1985, Katrina was planning to drive to Kansas to visit Deborah. Prior to the trip, the pair had gotten into an argument over the phone, causing Deborah to hang up on her sister. And despite the anger between the two, Deborah assumed they'd patch things up when Katrina arrived in Kansas. When Katrina didn't arrive, Deborah assumed she was still upset and had decided to cancel her trip without telling anyone. On June 25th, 1985, the manager of the Casa 3 Apartments at 200 South Marsalis Avenue, some reports say she was a resident, was walking by an alley when she noticed a strong odor coming from a 1978 Ford LTD parked nearby. She contacted the Southwest Station of the Dallas Police Department, and when officers arrived, they too smelled something coming from the vehicle's trunk. When they popped open the trunk, they discovered the decomposing nude body of a white female. She'd been wrapped in a stained white bedsheet. The body was brought to the medical examiner, who, through dental records, identified the deceased as Katrina Mowry. Given the level of decomposition, they were unable to note any superficial marks or wounds on the body. However, they were able to conclude Katrina had not been sexually assaulted prior to her death. A toxicology report found no drugs or alcohol in her system. Police initially tried to put Katrina's death down as a suicide. However, it was later deemed to be an unexplained death. It was estimated it occurred two days prior to her body being found on June 23, 1985. According to Deborah, there was a one to two week span between her final phone call with Katrina and the family learning of her death. Her body was eventually released in the burial done in Lawrence, Kansas. Katrina's death was never publicized to the wider Dallas population, with little in no way of media coverage. At the time it occurred, it was reported to be the cause of an overdose, as the toxicology report had yet to be complete. Speaking with the media, one of the sergeants working homicide claimed there was evidence she'd taken cocaine prior to her death. Investigators went to Katrina's apartment and found nothing out of the ordinary. There was no evidence of forced entry, and nothing was missing. In fact, her glasses and contacts, which she was legally blind without, were found on her nightstand, and her travel bags were also found by the front door, indicating she had planned to make the trip to Kansas to visit her sister. The authorities also spoke with Katrina's boyfriend after discovering the vehicle in which her body was found belonged to him. 
He claimed to have no knowledge she was still in Dallas, as he'd assumed she'd already left for Kansas and had an alibi for the time of her death. He was also unaware his car was missing, which was not unusual as Katrina was known to borrow it whenever she made trips back home. And according to Deborah, the last seen person to see her sister was a man known as Peewee. The pair were close friends to the point where it's alleged Peewee had a crush on Katrina. She was also his drug dealer. Knowing how the pair interacted with each other, Deborah always felt Peewee was responsible for Katrina's death. However, authorities were never able to locate and question him, and his whereabouts remain unknown. It's widely believed Katrina's death wasn't taken seriously by the Dallas Police Department due to her involvement in the local drug scene. According to Katrina's niece, investigators misled the family into believing they were actively looking into the case, when in actuality it was left untouched. This caused a divide within the family along with unresolved anger and resentment. It was also considered a taboo topic and thus was rarely spoken about. Katrina's niece has had minimal contact with law enforcement and what contact she has had has this resulted in their conversations going around in circles. And at one point, the investigator she was speaking to was unable to locate Katrina in their database and accused the family of passing down stories that are not completely accurate. As for what she believes happened to her aunt, Katrina Marshall said, I never consider any theory off the table completely. However, it's possible it was somehow a situation where someone did panic and needed to hide her body. I'm also equally considerate to the fact that this was a homicide. I say that because of how she was found, naked, wrapped up like a burrito in a bedsheet, along with the fact that she was found across town from where she lived and couldn't have driven herself there because legally she was blind without glasses or contacts and both were still on her nightstand next to her bed across town. Regardless, law enforcement failed to investigate, failed to bring justice or bring closure to my family. And sadly, not only did they possibly let her killer escape, but they also sentenced her sisters to a life of misery, end quote. So we have a few theories. The first being the primary theory in the case, which is that Katrina was the victim of foul play. This is due to the fact she was found deceased in the trunk of a car across town from where she lived. As well, she was naked and her body had been wrapped in a bed sheet. It seemed unlikely someone would strip, wrap themselves in a sheet, and lock themselves in the trunk of the car if they were intending on harming themselves, as police first theorized. As well, Katrina would have had to be transported to the alley by another party, as she was legally blind without her glasses or contacts, both of which had been left at her apartment. Unfortunately, the state of her remains made it difficult to impossible for the medical examiner to determine if she had any superficial marks on her body that could have been caused by a weapon. The second theory 
is that Katrina died of an accidental overdose and whoever she was with, likely Pee-wee, panicked and tried to hide her body in an attempt to distance themselves from her death. The person or persons involved drove the body across Dallas and hid the car in an alley. However, this goes against the findings of the toxicology report, which stated she had no illicit drugs in her system at the time of her death. If she had died of an overdose, there would have been some indications of drugs in her system, especially as she was found just two days after her death. In 2021, Katrina's niece set up a change.org petition to help gain the case more attention in the hopes of prompting the Dallas Police Department to restart their investigation. On the webpage, she expressed her frustration over how her aunt's death has been handled, writing, quote, After numerous attempts to contact, communicate, request information, give information, and investigating this case on my own, with minimal to no response, communication or contact from any of the departments within the Dallas law enforcement divisions, departments, or governing offices, I'm now forced to make this matter public in hopes of gaining the attention of the higher courts, officials to assist with getting some answers, justice, and most importantly, closure, end quote. Katrina's parents have since passed away, and her two sisters, Joanne, was the victim of a homicide in Dallas in April 1993, for which there were criminal proceedings. Deborah sadly took her own life in November 2020 due to the pain caused by her sister's unexplained death. This is extremely tragic. And exactly why we as OWL app users need to spread this information across your social media accounts and have uh, more people download the app and uh, sign up. So, you know, uh, people, especially around uh, this area, you know, will notice that. And, uh, hopefully, uh, again, you know, to subscribe to the, uh, to the app. So those with information regarding the case can forward their information to the homicide unit of the Dallas police department at 214-671-3661, or it's general investigations line at 214 671 3503. Tips can also be sent to Katrina Marshall on Twitter at at Katrina Marsh 91. So that's at C-A-T-R-I-N-A-M-A-R-S-H-9-1. So that's going to be it for this week's case. Um, we'll be uploading uh, another case here shortly for you guys. I know it's been a while and uh, that's why I had that long introduction to explain the OWL app and, and that we need you guys to rate and review the podcast. That is the most important thing you can do for us and the OWL app at this moment. 
It's incredibly powerful and uh, we need those. Again, if everybody that listens to this did that, took, you know, it takes less than a minute to do. Uh, and hopefully you hit the five stars because that's what's going to get us seen by other people, which will, again, you know, create more OWL app users um, and uh, more stories uh, like this out into the public domain, which are unheard of by most people in the true crime community. All right, that's it. I'll see you on the next one. Thank you.